groundbreaking news. Groundbreaking news. I watched like a two-minute TED Talk this week. Taught me how to tie my shoes. Turns out all these years I've been tying them wrong. These shoes have been perennial undoers. Just, you know, double knot. You can't double knot them enough. Let me tell you, not even double knot today. You want to check out a TED Talk on how to tie your shoes properly. I bet you you're doing it wrong. That's all I'm going to say. And it's funny how little insights can have such a profound impact. Just a little shift sometimes. Just a little insight can just dramatically... Like, I'm so overjoyed at learning how to tie my shoes up at the age of 37. Can you actually believe it? And, you know, as we open... Like, I I wonder what your expectation is, right? Because as we open this book today, I want to tell you that this book over the years has changed my life. And and, and as we open it today, and we just... I hope to, to bring just a little insight this morning out of there that maybe, just maybe might just bring a small shift to you. Maybe for some of you, it'll be a big shift. But if it brings just a small shift this morning that enables you to live in a greater degree of freedom, a greater a greater expression of life than maybe you've experienced up until this point, wouldn't that be awesome if we could walk out of here with that? So should we pray? Come on, join me in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the gift of these scriptures. And we pray, Lord God, that you'd, 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 you'd grow in us an expectation this morning that no matter how many times we've read this passage, no matter how many times we've we've been through on a Sunday and heard a message or or spent time in the morning just quietly by ourselves reading this book, God, today we pray for fresh insight, for brand new revelation, that today we might live in a greater degree of freedom, that we might walk more closely with you because of what we see today than we did yesterday. We pray in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Come on, show me you're awake. If you agree with anything I said, you can say amen. I've wanted to say this all week. Are you sitting comfortably? Those of you who are in the first few rows. New chairs, everyone. So, so great. I want to talk today about names, okay? I don't know. um, I'm hoping that most of you have a name. If you have a number, we can give you a name, okay? But I'm hoping that this is a little analogy that most of you can relate to. I'm trusting that you have a name. And, and you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting that many of us have had that experience with a, where a friend maybe calls you and says, hey, or a family member calls you and say, great news, so-and-so has had a baby. Mum, mum and baby are doing well, and, and the name is, right? And you know you've got to just like, quiet and any back noise in your head at this moment and just go, that is a lovely name, whatever it is, right? Jenny and I had such a moment where some friends of ours call up and they're like, hey, great news, you've had a baby, the boy's name is Wesley. And, and I don't know, I don't know how you feel about that name. If you're called Wesley, I'm really sorry, okay? But nothing against that name. I don't know whether it was because of the people with that name that I'd experienced before or whether it was just a little unusual, but Jenny and I both sat there and went, Wesley? Really? And yet as this boy grew up, as he became part of their family and we got to know him, this name was no longer unusual. This name was no longer weird because the name was associated with the person. You know, a name never just remains a name, does it? 
Names have an, an ability to just draw memories out. Names have an ability to stir emotion. So, some names, let's be honest, like provoke a physical reaction, don't they? You know, like some names can just make your, your, your stomach sink. Some, some names can maybe make you cry. I don't know. All based on the fact that names are synonymous with our experience of a person, aren't they? And you know, God is no different. And as God reveals his name to Israel, Yahweh, they were about to experience something that would profound, something that would profoundly shape what would come to mind, the, the emotion, the, the stories, the, the wonder that they, they, it was about to profoundly shape what came to mind for them when they heard his name from then on. And what they were about to learn was this. God, Yahweh, keeps His promises. Keeps His promises. You know, this morning we're in this middle, in the, in the middle of a series I, I called Walking Free. And it's the journey of, of, of God's nation, Israel, as they are in slavery and God cries out, let my people go so that they may worship me. Let them walk free, not just so that they can do what they want, but so that they can live in restored relationship with God and restored relationship with one another. And as we look at that story, we realize that as the church, our own, our own story, our own journey is captured in that narrative. That in Jesus we too have been set free. In Jesus we too have been brought into restored relationship with God, restored relationship with one another, and called out to live life in such a way in those relationships that others will be invited into it, invited to know God in that journey. And so we're beginning to ask the question, in what Israel experienced, what can we learn about walking free? And we learn that God keeps His promises. The problem is that life doesn't often feel like that. Problems come, situations happen, and you can begin to ask the question, does God really keep His promises? Like if He does, should it really be like this? You know, as I got on my knees this week, as I always do, to pray about this message, to pray about our time together, I struggle to think of one family, one person in this church community that has not either experienced something significant recently or is not going through something significant right now. And I want you to know this morning that whatever is going on, this truth remains true. And I believe out of this understanding that God keeps His promises is this main takeaway. If you take nothing away from this morning, remember this. And it's not particularly memorable. I, I couldn't come up with anything more memorable. But hopefully, like the name Wesley, after this message, you'll remember it. Here's what I want you to take away. Freedom, true freedom, is to live in light of the promises God has made. It's to live our lives in light of the promises that God has made. This week we're going to look at Exodus 4 through to 6, but that's quite a big portion of Scripture. So I'm just going to summarize so far. Moses has been in Midian in exile and God has called him to come back to his people Israel who were enslaved in Egypt to lead them out. And as he journeys back, all goes well. Like this is awesome. Okay, 
God empowers him with this staff. He's going to give him these like miracles that he's going to be able to perform. God, God orchestrates this meeting with his brother Aaron, who he maybe hasn't seen for about 77 years, and they just bump into each other. God has brought that about. And Moses' fear was that when he went to the leaders of Israel and he said, hey, God's, God's called me back to lead you guys out of, out of slavery, his fear was that they'd go, no, we don't believe it. But in, in spite of all that, they do believe, they worship, they're so grateful that after all these years, God has remembered. And so you can imagine Moses like, this is going awesome, I'm going to go to Pharaoh, let my people go, throw down the staff, like the ultimate drop the mic moment, turns into a snake, Pharaoh's like, whoa, snakes, my worst fear, please go, and you know, they just march out. Except it doesn't happen like that, and Pharaoh goes, no, no. Why should I? I don't even know who that God is. Why should I let his people go? And more than that, Pharaoh then turns around and says, actually, I'm just going to make it harder for you. These guys that are slaves, they're making bricks. There's a daily quota. Why don't you just go and fetch your raw materials yourself and still make the same number of bricks? And so the oppression on the people actually gets worse. When they think they're on the brink of freedom, the oppression gets worse. And so the Israelite foremen go to Pharaoh and begin to complain. And this is where we pick up the narrative. And we're going to turn to uh, Exodus 5. You're like, oh, wow, we're actually going to read the Bible today. Yes, we are. We got there eventually. All backstory to what I really want to say today. Join me in verse 15 of, of chapter 5 of Exodus. If you don't have a Bible, we'll get it on the screens. And if you don't want to read, just listen. I'm going to read it beautifully for you. I've been practicing. Verse 15, so the Israelite foreman went in and cried for help to Pharaoh. Why are you treating your servants this way? No straw has been given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks. Look, your servants are being beaten, but it is your own people who are at fault. But he said, that's Pharaoh said, you are slackers, slackers. That is why you are saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to the work. No straw will be given you, but you must produce the same quantity of bricks. The Israelite foreman saw that they were in trouble when they were told you cannot reduce your daily quota of bricks. When they left Pharaoh, they confronted Moses and Aaron who stood waiting to meet them. How awkward is this moment? May the Lord take note of you and judge, they said to them, because you have made us reek to Pharaoh and his officials, putting a sword in their hand to kill us. So Moses went back to the Lord and asked, Lord, why have you caused trouble for this people? And why did you ever send me? Ever since I went into Pharaoh to speak you in your name, he has caused trouble for this people. And get this, and you haven't rescued your people at all. You have not rescued your people at all. You know, Moses believes that he has been called to lead God's people out of slavery. But as he steps into that call, suddenly it gets worse. You haven't rescued your people at all. In other words, Moses is saying to God, God, you have not kept your promises. You have not kept up your side of the bargain. But what I want you to see here is that there is an expectation gap. Moses has spat the dummy. Moses is absolutely furious. He has expected something of God that God never promised. 
God did promise that Moses would lead them out of slavery. God did promise that he would deliver Israel. But he didn't say, I will do it exactly now. And he didn't say it wouldn't come without a struggle. But because they don't realize that, they're like, well, it hasn't happened exactly how I thought it would. So maybe God isn't going to keep any of his promises at all. You know, it makes me wonder how many times we wrestle with things in life because we have an expectation of God that he has not created, that he has not promised. We're like, we wanted God to do something for us. We thought he would, and he hasn't. You know, go figure, I, I, God never promised I would make it as a professional rugby player. I never did. God never actually promised me any sort of career. He never promised me I'd lead a big church or that I'd be a person of significance. He never promised that we wouldn't lose children. He never promised me that, that, that uh, the girls we do have would be straight A students or, 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 or that, that, that they, would, they would make a decision to follow Jesus despite every you know, effort of my own. God never made me any of those promises. But have I wrestled with just about every single one of those along the way? Oh, yeah. You know, God, I'm married, but God never actually promised that I would get married. And I think this is a big one, and I just want to touch on this for a moment. Because God never promised any of us that we'd get married. And, and yet I, I, I see in the church that somehow, to some degree, we have idolized marriage and idolized children. We, it's like we've gone the, the, the pinnacle of being a Christian. Like at some point, if you're genuinely following Jesus, marriage is going to happen for you. And if it hasn't, God's just wanting to prepare you. Like, and you're like, that marriage is a mess over there. Like, were they prepared? <laughs> it's a lie. And if I've ever perpetuated that, I am sorry. Jenny and my heart in this place, and we've talked about this, and you know, that this would be a place that regardless of your marital status, regardless of where you're at, that this would be a safe environment and a thriving environment for you to grow as a follower of Jesus. Whether, whether, whether marriage is in the past for you, whether marriage is in the present for you, whether marriage is in the future or not in the future at all, this has to be a place where every single one of us can grow as followers of Jesus. But you know, none of these expectations that we hold are necessarily bad things. It's not saying that they're not important. It's not saying that they're not valid. It's not saying that they're things we shouldn't celebrate. It's not saying that they're things that we should, that, 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 that we should pray about. I think absolutely true. We should pray about those things. But can I say that we, it, that, that, that we have to resolve in our own minds and in our own hearts that even if those things that we deeply desire, if God hasn't promised them, if they don't come to pass, my faith is not contingent on them. We have to resolve that my faith will not fail even if God doesn't meet those expectations and even if I think we, that he should. You know, one of the things I've discovered in trouble in, in, in my life is that actually some of those things is to get rid of a bit of naivety in me. And I think here, you know, Israel are getting rid of a little bit of naivety. What has God promised and what hasn't he? But as they do, as they get to the very end of themselves, I want you to see that God brings them to that place. God has orchestrated this moment because now is a moment, now is an opportunity for them to discover something brand new. 
you join me? We're going to read again from chapter 6, verse 1. But the Lord replied to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of a strong hand, he will let them go. And because of a strong hand, he will drive them from his land. Then God spoke to Moses, telling him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. But I was not known to them by my name, the Lord. I will also establish my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land they lived in as aliens. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are forcing to work as slaves. And I have remembered my covenant. You know, just God starts off this conversation, I am the Lord. And last week, if, if you remember in Exodus 3, we, God reveals himself to Moses and says, I am who I am. And only God can describe himself in that way. Only God can say, I am. It means I am self-existent. It means I always have been. I always will be. I need nothing from anybody to be. I never change. I never fail. I never change my mind. I just am. And now he turns around to Moses and he says, I am the Lord. Whenever you see the Lord, have we got it there? Okay, whenever you see the word Lord in capitals, okay, that is telling you they have translated the Hebrew word Yahweh. This is the name that God gave to Israel. He says, this is what you're to call me. Why? Well, Yahweh is a different way of saying I am. It would get a bit awkward if God says I am, he's I am, and we called him I am because that gets confusing in conversation, okay? So Yahweh is the Hebrew way effectively of saying you are. God says, I am, I am self-existent, I never change, I always was, I always will be. But if you're going to refer to me, you're going to refer to me as Yahweh. It's basically God saying, I am, you are. <laughs> and so from now on, you're going to refer to me as Yahweh, you are. And that, what it says here is that previously God had appeared to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob as God Almighty. In fact, Abraham did have this name, Yahweh. He did know this name. But his experience, these founding fathers of, of, of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their experience of God was God Almighty, God who is powerful, God who makes promises, God who makes a covenant. A covenant is a relationship established with promises, right? Marriage is a covenant. People promise to one another what that relationship is going to look like from now on. And when God says, I made a covenant with Abraham, he's saying, I established a relationship with Abraham on the basis of promises. I promised him that he was going to have many descendants, that I'd make him a great nation. I promised him that his, his descendants were going to be in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. I promised him I would powerfully bring them out. I would rescue them and bring them into the promised land. So they understood that Yahweh was powerful. They understood that, that Yahweh was God Almighty. They understood that Yahweh was really, really great at making promises. Can you see how important this moment is when they come to the brink of leaving Egypt and suddenly Pharaoh goes, no. They'd experienced God the powerful. They'd experienced God who made promises. But now they were going to discover, can he actually keep them? Has he got the stuff? Will he bring about the freedom that he has actually promised? 
God says, absolutely. And from this moment, as they leave Egypt, as they head into freedom, the name Yahweh would be synonymous with the God who keeps His promises, the God who keeps His covenant. And I want you just to, I want to point out three things that we see as God now turns around and He says, I keep my promises. I keep my covenant with Israel. Here's what I have promised. Here's what you're about to see. Verse 6, Therefore tell the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from slavery to them. I will redeem you. If you're an underliner or a highlighter in your Bible, you can highlight that word. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Promise number one, God says, I will redeem you. Redemption is the price that is paid to buy a slave out of slavery so that they may walk free. God says, I'm about to pay that price for Israel. I'm about to do that. I'm about to let you walk free. I'm going to redeem you. Promise number two, uh, verse seven, I will take you as my people and I will be your God. You will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians. Promise number two, God says, this covenant establishes a new relationship. You're going to be my people and I'm going to be your God. I'm going to establish a relationship with you. I paid attention this morning when Jamie, middle of worship, starts to talk about Matthew 4. And and, and God declaring over Jesus, you're my son whom I love with you. I'm well pleased. God promises Israel, he promises his people here, you're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. We're establishing a relationship. Promise number three, I will bring you to the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. I'm going to bring you home. This is my promise. I'm not just going to deliver you out of slavery. I will bring you to the land that I have promised you. And you're like, cool, big deal. God hasn't promised me marriage. He hasn't promised me some good stuff, but he's promised me like deliverance from Egypt. Like if I'm ever stuck there, great news. He's going to bring me out. Like What's the deal with this? Okay, we're about to make a big turn, a big shift. It's really important that you all follow me, okay? If I'm the boat driver and you're on the biscuit right now, okay, I'm going to take care as I just make this turn. You need to hold on tight, okay? Don't get flipped in the wake, okay? Don't get lost, otherwise, uh, otherwise you'll go away thinking wrong things about this morning's message. We're about to make a big change. God here reiterates to the people of Israel the promise promises he made to Abraham, the the original founding father from whom all these descendants come. But there's another promise God sneaked in there that isn't referred to here. He said, through your descendants, Abraham, I'm going to bless all nations. And it wasn't a promise to all of Abraham's descendants. We understand that it was a promise to one of Abraham's descendants, a great, 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 great grandson who would turn up on earth and refer to himself as I am. Sound familiar? His name is Jesus, descendant of Abraham, son of God, I am Yahweh in the flesh. And he goes to the cross, having lived a perfect life, to pay in his blood the price for your sin and my sin and the sin of humanity that separated us from relationship with God. And in that death, 
He establishes a brand new covenant. He fulfills the one that God made with Abraham and he sets up a a covenant with you and I if we believe in Jesus that is brand new. A relationship that is founded on a better, a, a covenant that is established on a better relationship and a covenant that is founded upon better promises. And the reason we make this turn is because these are the promises that God has made to us. These are the promises that we can experience freedom in if we live out of. And when you look at these promises that God reiterates to Israel in this passage, they are pictures of the greater promises that Jesus has made with us. Should we go there? Come on, I know you want to. Are you with me? You're holding on? Great. Promise number one. Remember what it was? I will redeem you. Okay, in Romans 3, 23. It says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by His grace through the redemption, the buying out of slavery, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We will always underestimate how great is the glory of God, the sheer perfection of Him. We will always underestimate how far you and I have fallen short of that. But in His death on the cross, He has purchased you out of that slavery to continually fall short of his glory. You and I couldn't help it. You and I still, in and of ourselves, cannot help fall short of his glory. But in Christ Jesus, you have been purchased out of that. Do you know the freedom of that? Not only to know that your past errors have been wiped clean, washed away, but that you can be set free from the habits that have characterized you up until this point. The, 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 the attitudes and the behaviors that have characterized you, that have maybe been synonymous with your name up until this point. Because of Jesus, you can walk free from that today. You can come before him and say, God, I'm actually tired of this. I'm tired of my hard-heartedness. I'm tired of, uh, of my anger. I'm tired of my bitterness. I want to walk free from it today. Lord God, I thank you that the promise to redeem me is new today and fresh today. Do it again in me. Can can I speak really gently to some of you who are just a little bit further on in life than me? You know, one of the things I think that can characterize people as they they get a little older is that we become a little more set in our ways. I know, I already am. We can become a little set in our ways. We can become cynical. We can become bitter. We can become, hey, this is sort of how I've always been. This is me. Can I say, if you were a follower of Jesus... Not true. The latter days of your life can be lived out in a greater degree of freedom than the early ones. I love Psalm 92, verse 14. It talks about the righteous and it says, it says this, they will still bear fruit in old age. They will still stay fresh and green. As you grow up, as we get older, can we, can we agree together that actually we don't, we don't have to get cynical? We don't have to get bitter. We don't, God hasn't promised us health to the end. God hasn't promised us prosperity to the end. But he has promised you, if you'll desire it, if you'll ask him, ask him for it, that actually you can live in greater degrees of freedom, that you don't have to get cynical, that you don't have to be bitter. If that's where you're at today, if you notice that in you, you can offer that to God today and say, God, would you free me from 
that. Promise number two, I will be your God. If you go to John 1, chapter, verse 12, it says this, but to all who did receive him, he gave the right. This is why I think Jamie was on to something this morning. He gave the right to become children of God. Andy Stanley, a famous pastor in the States, He says this, you know, in Israel, God was acting as the founder, but under the new covenant established in Christ Jesus, God reveals himself to you and I. He relates to you and I as father. He means you and I are children in his family. We are adopted as if we never, we were never a part of another family. All of that history erased, we're a part of a new family. And do you know what that means? If you're a child, it means you're significant. It means you're valuable. And it means you have nothing to prove. If you are living life today trying to show God that you're worthy, show God that you're good enough, show God that you've got it all together, you have missed it. If you understand that you've been made a child of God, that he's your heavenly father, a son, a daughter needs prove nothing. You can sit on the couch and do nothing for the rest of your life and you're still a son. Now, I agree that, and I'm sure many of you would agree that actually, if you truly do know God, if you truly are a son, a daughter, that actually there's some behaviors that probably should come to that. But what I'm saying is that those behaviors do not make you any more a son than you already are simply because you've believed in Jesus. And I think one of the most practical things I wonder if some of us need to do is this week take a moment and do absolutely nothing. Achieve nothing. And remind yourself that even in that space, he is still your heavenly father and you are still a child of his. Promise number three. Here we go. I will bring you to the land. Jesus said this in my father's house, John chapter 14, are many rooms. If not, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again. See that promise? I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. Having risen from the dead, Jesus ascended to heaven. And and, and in that sort of journey, he says, I'm going away for a season, but I promise you I'm coming back. And the reason I'm going away is to prepare a place where those who believe in Jesus will be eternally. A place where, where you are fully free. A place where there are, there's no more poverty. A place where there is no more pain. A place where there is no more suffering. A place where, that is gloriously without end. And I think we need to be more conscious of this than ever. And I've had pushback on this in the past. People, people challenge me when I talk about this and say, Simon, if, if, you, if, if you are so heavenly minded, if you are so focused on eternity, that, then you are devaluing life right here and now. And I'll say to you, that is absolutely not the case. In fact, I think the alternative is true. It's when we understand that what God has promised us is understand when we understand that, that the eternity that is to come and the greatness and the glory of that, it means that we will live out this life with a proper purpose and a proper perspective. You know, I think it's when we I know that there's eternity to come that I'm free to stop pursuing prestige. 
and, and serve others regardless of what anybody thinks of me. Because I know there's a place to come. I can be free from having to accumulate stuff. Because I know there's an inheritance to come. So I can just give stuff away. It doesn't matter how much money's in the bank. It doesn't matter what assets I have. It doesn't matter what you think of me and the clothes away. It, doesn't, it really doesn't matter. There's a, there's a greater thing to come. And so it means you can give stuff away and you lose nothing. I think it means I'm free to follow Jesus wherever, whenever, no matter the cost. You know, you know one of the big things for me is that, you know, I, I live, because we believe God called us here, we're, we're separate from my family. And, and, you know, my grandma, man, oh, she's, she's an absolute ox. I don't think anything will ultimately take her out. But anyway, she just, she keeps going to hospital and pneumonia and things like that. We're, we're tight, we're close. And I don't get to go and visit her in hospital. I don't, I don't get to go and sit with her. I write to her and things like that. But, but we've got a deal that we're going to meet again. We're going to meet again. And, and so suddenly I'm free not to have to be present all the time. But we've got a deal. We're going to see each other again. So Simon, she's all good for me to go across the world and, and follow God wherever he would lead. Can you see how freeing this is? I'm not having to make decisions based on these 70 years of this life, give or take. I'm free to, to follow, free to serve, free to give, free to live, knowing that there is an eternity to come and, and therefore there's a perspective that we can carry into everyday life. Can you see freedom is, is living life in light of the promises, not the ones that he hasn't made, but the ones that he has. I would love you to go away this week and pray a prayer. Pray a prayer. God, would you show me what I need to see of these promises so that I may live them through? Something like that. God, would you show me more of what these promises mean so that I may live more free? We're going we're gonna to We've created some time for worship right now. Some time for response. And, and, and what we're going to do immediately, we're going to share communion. There's a very good reason we're going to use this time to share communion. Because Jesus said, these symbols, bread and juice, are the symbols to remind you of the covenant. The promises that I have, the relationship I've established with you through promises. And so when we take bread and we take juice, they remind us of Jesus' body and Jesus' blood. And Jesus' blood is the blood of the new covenant. The, the, the relationship He has established with you. And as we worship, as we sing, I hope as you, as you come up and take some bread and maybe go back to your seat and we, and we sing together and we worship, I want you to remember, God, these, re, these are a reminder of the covenant. These are reminders of the promises you have made to me. Thank you. You know, if you're not familiar with church, you're new, you're checking this out, and, and you're on a journey to believing, you know, you feel free just to sit. Feel free just to not take part. But if, but if today you'd say, do you know what, I think I do believe. I, I think actually I, I, I do want to, I do believe, I do, I do want those promises for me. I do want to begin this journey. Then, 
then I'd invite you to come up, take bread, take juice, and maybe, maybe come and let Jenny and I know, and we'd love to share communion with you. But if not, all good. If, but should we stand? Let me pray. And let us share communion and let us worship together. Our Father, we take these moments right now to remember, to remember Jesus. To remember the promises that you have made. And and the relationship, the unbreakable, unending relationship that you have established with those who believe in Jesus. Lord, we want to praise you for it today. We want to thank you for it today. And I pray, God, that you would teach us every single day to live out life in light of the promises you have made. We thank you that throughout history you have revealed yourself as the God who is not just powerful, the God who not only makes promises, but the God who keeps them. We bring you praise in Jesus' name.